When tax time comes around, are you being reactive or proactive? Do you find yourself swimming in a sea of questions? Like, is it better to do my tax return cheaply? How do I know if I'm doing them the right way? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we'll answer these questions and many more. Sharpen your pencils and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Hello again. I'm Marcelino Dodge, and welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor, the show that simply covers just what everybody loves to talk about, their personal income tax. And it seems kind of odd maybe to talk about at this time of year, but this is just the right time of year to discuss this matter. Today, we're going to be looking more at our dependents we put on our tax returns, who we can claim and not be claiming, and some unusual circumstances that are often encountered during tax season because there's a lot of them and people have such a variety of circumstances. But first, before we start into that, going to start a new little here at the beginning of each show, going to cover just a few updates that happened since our last program. And one of the big happenings is for those who have a payroll protection loan or the PPP loan, last week the uh, SBA released a simplified application if you received a loan under $50,000. It's a lot less complicated than the first application, but it's supposed to be streamlined. We'll see how that works as like with anything the SBA or any government agency puts out, but it's supposed to be simplified and a lot of different things you're supposed to do, but yet hopefully it'll be simpler for those who have the loans for under $50,000. Also, we think about what is today, October 14th which means if you filed an extension for the already the extended time, which was July 15th, if you filed an extension, well, tomorrow, October 15th, is the deadline for you to have your federal tax return filed. What we need to keep in mind with this, and that can be mailed, which make sure you get it postmarked on the 15th, and if you do happen to be mailing your tax return, I recommend you get a certified uh, mail stamp on that so that you have proof, yes, you filed it or you mailed it on the 15th. Unless you're in one of the disaster areas where the IRS has ex allowed ones to extend that. So, but make sure you get that in the mail or if you have a payment due, make sure you have that in as well. Another planning recommendation that we're making this week for ones and this is a good time of year again to be doing it, and that is to be checking your tax withholdings. And this would be true for not only your W-2, for those who are working and have had continued to work through the last several months through this pandemic, it would also be true to check tax withholdings if you've been receiving unemployment, because those amounts that you've received in unemployment are taxable income from the government standpoint. So just a few tidbits to make sure you keep on checking and be aware of. So back to our topic of the day, which is who is my dependent? Who can I claim as, an, as a dependent on my tax return? Well, prior to 2017, uh, Tax Cut and Jobs Act, that, those ones were normally considered as an exemption. But since we no longer have exemptions, basically it's who's going to be my dependent on my tax return that I can either get a $2,000 child tax credit for or get an other dependent credit of $500 for. Well, most commonly, this dependent is going to be your child, age 18 and under. 
And for most people, that's a pretty uh, set in stone kind of, of deal. So not usually too uh, complicated. Now, there are some circumstances where sometimes ones may have a parent living with them that they are caring for, that they are supporting and so on. So yes, may there may be occasions where you may be able to claim a parent. And then there may be another one individual who would be known as a qualified child or a qualified relative. Now that is an individual who isn't necessarily related directly by blood. It could be an uncle, aunt, cousin, niece, nephew, could be any of those type of individuals that uh, meets up with the qualifications that you can claim as a dependent on your tax return. Now, what we got to keep in mind as we look at uh, who we're going to claim as a dependent on our tax return, many people uh, don't realize or just maybe don't know because they're not always talked about, but there's actually seven tests that the Internal Revenue Service has to determine whether an individual can be claimed on a tax return. Seven of those, and you have to meet all seven to be able to claim the individual. The first three are usually not too talked about too much because they're they're really streamlined and pretty pretty simple. And mostly everybody meets the first three, which one is that the one trying to claim the dependent is not being claimed on another tax return, uh, or they're not filing a joint tax a married filing joint tax return, which that's that's a pretty given too. Usually you're not. Uh, the individual you're trying to claim is not married and is not going to be on a tax, not going to be filing with their spouse. So that that's pretty pretty given as well. And then the other other one is that they need to be a citizen of the United States or or a resident of the U.S., uh, Canada, or Mexico. So certainly, those three are usually pretty pretty close, and usually not don't bring up too much controversy or do not really get discussed. Where it really gets into the challenge in in these tests is first of all the relationship. How is this person you're going to claim or potentially claim related to you? Well, in most cases, as I mentioned, it can be a son or a daughter, which is most common, and that's usually pretty streamlined and pretty easy to figure out. But then you get into other areas like nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts, maybe an adopted child. Those relationships, all once again, are usually pretty cut and dry. Uh, now, there's another one that, that can get really uh, sticky, though, is residency. Where has that individual been for at least half the year? Which for many people, usually that's not an issue because they've had their child six months or more. There are some other circumstances I'm going to get into in a little bit as far as residency goes, especially in the case of uh, divorced parents. But yet residency usually is not too much of an issue, although sometimes some children sadly are used as pawns and end up at one place and there sometimes the residency can get a little murky in some unusual situations but yet usually that's that can be be figured out pretty easily age of course age that's they can be claimed up to age uh, 19 well under age 19 so that's usually pretty pretty good to age wise and then support who provided 50% or more of their support and there's some interesting cases where sometimes young people do a pretty pretty good job of supporting themselves and make some pretty good money. I mean, there are some young people who, especially when they can start going to work at age 16, can sometimes create an issue because they'll go out and they'll make ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year. And those people, those young people, are to be commended for the fact they went out and they worked hard and they're trying to do something. But yet, the, all those tests have to be met 
to be able to, uh, for a parent or an, or another individual to be able to claim them or claim a young person on a tax return. Now, where we do get into some challenges, there's a lot of special circumstances that can come up when dealing with uh, young people, especially those 18 and under on a tax return. And some of that stems from parents who are who get a divorce, which is a sad circumstance, but yet parents, sometimes that happens. And the reality of it is that uh, one parent usually ends up being the custodial parent, or they may have what they what's called as joint custody. Oftentimes in this challenge is the fact of you have a court, a county court in particular throughout this country, and it happens throughout throughout this country, county courts say this individual or this the mother uh, has custody of the child, but for tax purposes, the father can claim this child for like for like as a dependent. It get it can get really murky in there when that does happen, and thus because of that, sometimes uh, the parent who tries to claim the child tries to claim too much, and there's a whole nother set of rules that go in with that. I've dealt with a lot of issues on this when it comes to children of divorced parents because of the fact that county courts will say one thing, but the IRS actually has a whole different set of rules, and that's federal law. Now, I always strive to educate parents no matter which side of this issue that they are on, especially since uh, in 2009, the Internal Revenue Service made a determination that divorce decrees are not acceptable for for K for 2009 later for divorces 2009 later are not an acceptable document for claiming a child on a tax return now i inform everybody that comes into my office or i speak to virtually i always make sure i get a copy of that divorce decree that has that particular child section in it. And I do that because there's specific items I look for such as that because I want to educate the parent as to exactly what the tax rules are in regards to that. Now let me take a step back here and first say as the tax professional that's speaking to this uh, now, now single parent essentially who has custody of their child. They'll come in, they ha they're the custodial parent They'll bring down the divorce and say, this is what the court says. And I will say, okay, you're the custodial parent. This is what the IRS rules are in regards to this. And the rules are is that where the child resides for six months or more is the parent that can claim that child for things such as earned income tax credit, child tax credit, uh, dependent daycare credit, all of that. That's what the IRS rules are in such circumstances. And the divorce decree is, is a piece of paper essentially to the IRS in such circumstances. Now it's up to the custodial parent at that time to make the decision of exactly what they're going to do. I feel it's always important for them as the parent to make that choice. And be informed tax, be as, as a taxpayer, be informed. You you can make the choice now. 
The only real choice that that individual has at that point is to decide, first of all, am I going to have my ex-spouse, am I going to give up this uh, child tax credit, which is really the only thing they're really giving up, child tax credit and maybe uh, dependent daycare credit. Those, those are the two things that they can give, they can choose to release to them by signing a proper form. Because IRS rules are very, very specific on items such as the earned income tax credit, which basically is that where the child is, is who gets paid. That's not a credit that is released or transfers to, uh, to the other parent or the non-custodial parent in this case. So that so once that parent makes that decision, we prepare the tax return accordingly. And many times they choose to go, okay, this is what the court has said we're, you need to do. And, and many and many parents make the choice, okay, I'm going to go ahead and go because the other parent's been very cooperative. It's been a very good situation. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You're the taxpayer. You make the decision on how you're going to do this. Now, when it comes to the other side of that paperwork, where it's the non-custodial parent that brings me that divorce decree, it's a whole nother story. It's a whole nother ballgame. I inform them of the rules once again. This is what the IRS rules are that says, for you to claim this child on the tax return, you cannot use a divorce decree with the IRS. I, I inform them that this is the form to protect you. I, as the tax preparer, need to have you go and have your ex-spouse sign this. It's a form. It's a form that releases the, the claim for the exemption or the claim as a dependency on that child for the tax year. Now, that's up. Now, I require that of anybody who comes in on the backside of that because that protects them as a taxpayer. And I honestly feel that if I do not do that or require that, I am being negligent as a tax preparer because I'm not, I am not protecting my tax, uh, tax, my client here. And I'm going to discuss that a little bit more when we come back in a couple minutes here. Again, this is Marcelino Dodge. You're listening to the Tax Answers Advisor on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today's tax and financial environment is constantly changing. Tax laws change rapidly. The traditional reactive approach to tax preparation and taxes no longer works. To deliver the best possible outcomes in today's world, you need a year-round approach to take advantage of tax law changes and to pay as little tax as possible. Marcelino Dodge of Cash Tracks Financial helps his clients to implement proactive tax strategies throughout the year to limit his clients' tax liability. Plus, with this year-round approach, clients can increase their cash flow and be as prepared for the future as they can be. Email Marcelino at success at cashtracksfinancial.com or call 844-394-4287. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. To reach our program today, please call in. The number is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Now, back to the Tax Answers Advisor. Welcome back. I appreciate you sticking around for the Tax Answers Advisor. I'm Marcelino Dodge and discussing about special circumstances when you are trying to determine who can claim the child when it comes to divorced parent situations. And as I was discussing before the break, if you're the non-custodial parent, it can really be a challenge depending on how uh, your ex-spouse, what the feelings are there. It's always best to make such situations as amicable as possible because when it comes to tax time, these parents, non-custodial parents in particular, can have a huge issue. And it just has the fact that to make sure they're, they're protected, as I mentioned before the break, they need to make sure and have the proper form signed by their ex-spouse so that they can go ahead and claim that child and, and get benefits such as the child tax credit on their tax return because otherwise they're just rolling dice essentially is what's happening because the IRS could come back and easily say, and I've had this happen. I've seen the documents from the IRS. I've seen the letters from the IRS saying, prove to me you can claim this child. And off, oftentimes they'll say, well, I sent in the divorce decree. I'm like, well, after 2009, the IRS said that's not acceptable. And it's even worse if that divorce decree says things like you can claim the child if you're up to date on your child support. That's even worse in the sense because that's what is known as a conditional phrase. And even before 2009, if it had a conditional phrase such as that on it, the IRS would not accept it. So it's very important that if you are a parent who has uh, a divorce decree that says you can claim your child and you're the non-custodial parent, it is my high recommendation that you go speak to the person that does your taxes and find out what your responsibilities, what your rights are, and get educated. And then, if at all possible, don't wait till tax time. Get the form signed. That way you can bring it in with your tax return. That way you're not having to deal with that at tax time trying to run down your spouse to sign the form. I would say do it in advance. Talk to your tax person right away and get that done. Occasionally, another circumstance I encounter, because this is happening a lot, is where a parent and their child lives with the grandparent. 
that's a whole different set of circumstances that can come in there and it can get really complicated. And because of such circumstances, the IRS has what they call tiebreaker rules in place that involve income and a lot of situations. But in many cases, depending on the income of the parent of the child, the parent usually will be claiming the child, although sometimes the grandparents are eligible to claim the child. It just depends on the circumstances and a lot of details involved in there. Can't really go into that here, but in a good discussion with uh, your tax preparer and if the, the tax preparer does a thorough job of uh, research and due diligence with them, they'll be able to help determine who can actually be claiming that child. And documentation is so important when trying to claim a child especially in, in the case if a child gets claimed on a return they shouldn't be claimed on, uh, school records, doctor records. That's where a court order for the custodial parent is vital. If this document says this child is to live with this person and this person uh, and someone else claimed that child, that's, that uh, a parent can get, can get it taken care of. Another often... Uh, special circumstances, maybe you have a permanently disabled child. Well, IRS rules do dictate that a parent can basically be claiming a disabled child basically as long as that child is in the home and the parents are supporting that disabled child. And for parents who uh, qualify for the earned income tax credit, they also qualify to get that on the disabled child. And there's usually doctor records that support that. And so you always want to keep those as part of your uh, tax records as well. You may also have a child in college, which usually this, this gets into a very uh, fascinating area because I always run into challenges when it comes to young people going to college. They're wanting to be independent. They're wanting to go, st go do stuff on their own. And, you know, that's fabulous. That's great. But yet sometimes you don't realize and you just don't think that what effect is this going to have on my parents, especially if I'm not earning a lot of income because sometimes young people are going to college, they're getting scholarships, they're doing uh, odd jobs, making below the, the support or the, the filing requirement, which is often, which is 12, just over $12,000 right now. So they're not usually required in most cases. Some do, but it just depends. Once again, it comes down to that child in college, how much are they earning? Now, sometimes the ones will go, there's education credits that are out there, which sometimes a child will file because they want to get their credit or whatever. Well, sometimes it's still not a good idea. And the reason it's not a good idea is because oftentimes because of income, the young person would be better off allowing their parents to claim them and then hopefully the parents would, would share with them because sometimes you can get a better credit by the parents claiming the child and taking the education credit. So it's just, it's just a really situation. So I always try to encourage uh, parents and their uh, adult children who are in college to really cooperate and try to bring in all their paperwork together because too often, sometimes a child gets eager, wants to go file their tax return. They do it like right away after e-filing starts. And that creates a headache for the parents down the road, which is not a good thing. But try to, try to just be cooperative and communicative with each other so that everybody can be, uh, get the best 
tax, uh, everything within the law, but the best tax result for everyone in the family. Now, when we deal with dependents there, what's my filing status? Because we keep in mind there's filing statuses that you have with the IRS. Now, am I head of household? Well, if you're a, a single individual and you have a qualifying child, that qualifies you as head of household. You can be head of household, which is which is a normal filing status if you're if you're unmarried or considered unmarried. Now, you may be asking, okay, what is considered unmarried? Well, there is a provision in the tax code because sometimes some people, for whatever reason, there's a married couple who sometime before July 1st of the year, they they separate or they get out of the same household. Don't know, it can be any, it can be any number of variety of reasons. But from July 1st through the end of the year, this married couple are not in the same household. So essentially the the person in the household that has the qualifying child can be considered unmarried in that situation and qualify for head of household filing status, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I don't know. It just depends on the circumstances. So much, so many of what happens, so much of what happens with income tax depends on each individual circumstances. It's, it's not one size fits all. So uh, basically one can be head of household. Now the next question is that, okay, you, am I going to be married, filing joint or married, filing separate? Well, you can be married, filing joint once again, if you as the taxpayer are married during the year. And this can be whether you're married on, on January 2nd or you're married on December 30th. Your filing status is either married, filing joint or married, filing separate. Now, when you're claiming dependence on a tax return, it is usually the best for couples to do married filing joint, even if only one of them have an income. That is the high recommendation and that is usually best. And that's usually best because the one with the higher income, usually, well, they have higher income and then the one that doesn't have like an income, like you have a a mother staying at home, taking care of the children. The one without an income is in a way supporting the one by taking care of the children and taking care of other household items. As well as the fact that a married filing joint uh, standard deduction is much better than a household head of household deduction. So they're, they're better off doing it. Now there are circumstances where it may be good to do a Maryland filing separate. Once again, there's specialized circumstances uh, with that. So, it could be good, might be good according to what is needed, but we just really don't know as it really, again, depends upon the circumstances. So as we look at this, we want you to be thinking about being very careful with that. Married filing separate when you are married. And the reason I say that is because when you do a married filing separate tax return, many times, well, it's not many times, it's just a fact, you lose several tax credits that married filing joint couples qualify for. Now, there may be valid reasons to do married filing separate, but 
you lose many good credits on a married filing separate return. Now, what we're thinking about here next, this next point is on filing uh, status is, I touched on a little bit earlier, this person will say, well, I live with my parents. What's going to be my filing status? Well, that's where once again, it gets a little, it can get a little murky depending on your income. But you could very well, I mean, your parents could be having a good income, supporting, taking care of their household and so on. And you may, you may have been living with parents who, uh, who are on Social Security and retired. Well, in that particular case, but you're making good living, you're, and maybe it could be the circumstance you, your parents may be living with you. It, there's a lot of uh, numbers and stuff that goes into trying to calculate that, but you may qualify for to be head of household in that particular circumstance if you're providing 50% or more of the support for the household. So that can definitely be a, a good possibility there. So then which leads us back to our tiebreaker rules for certain things, if depending on work, supporting house, and so on, these tiebreaker rules can come in. They, again, they can get very, very, very murky, but yet uh, going down through the uh, challenge or the information that the IRS has helps to determine actually who can claim a dependent on what and what filing status would be proper according to various situations. So again, it's very important to have all the facts and circumstances together and talk to your tax person or when I visit with somebody, what I do when I talk to that person, I, I ask all the questions. Do you have documentation showing uh, that this is your child, like a birth certificate? Do you have uh, documentation showing that you can, uh, that this child was in your home, such as a doctor record, a school record, that you can prove that this child was in your home six months or more? And there's a few more items we can get into in just a few moments on this thought here. So we'll look forward to talking to you in just, just a few moments here. Again, this is Marcelino Dodge on the Tax Answers Advisor on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Today's tax and financial environment is constantly changing. Tax laws change rapidly. The traditional reactive approach to tax preparation and taxes no longer works. To deliver the best possible outcomes in today's world, you need a year-round approach to take advantage of tax law changes and to pay as little tax as possible. Marcelino Dodge of Cash Tracks Financial helps his clients to implement proactive tax strategies throughout the year to limit his clients' tax liability. Plus, with this year-round approach, clients can increase their cash flow and be as prepared for the future as they can be. Email Marcelino at success at cashtracksfinancial.com or call 844-394-4287. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. 
the Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. To reach our program today, please call in. The number is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Now, back to the Tax Answers Advisor. Welcome back to the Tax Answers Advisor. I appreciate you sticking around again because we have so much information here and this is so vital to understand how and what is necessary to claim a dependent on your federal tax return and be able to have documentation, which is such a vital need. It is so important to have that. I encourage ones and there's there's a whole form that the IRS has that says these are what you need to do this and oftentimes I ask for copies of these as I mentioned uh, before the break some of the paperwork I ask for 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 everybody that walks in the door or anybody that I handle through my online portal I need to of course have an ID for you as a person I need to have uh, the birth certificate for your child so I know that this is your child you're trying to claim. Now if this isn't your biological child, I need some other documentation like for example uh, for some clients I actually have a court document that says that uh, my client is the guardian for this child which in some case the child could be their grandchild. And so all that documentation is so important to establish where this child is to be, or in the case of a divorced parent, showing that this child is, this person is the custodial parent of this child and this child is going to be in this home. And then it even goes a little bit farther than that to prove that they were a physical address. That's where it really gets, again, a little sticky is the fact that a physical address such as a utility bill, a phone bill, having the physical address on your uh, doctor's records, on your school records if they're in school. All of that is vitally important information to have when claiming a dependent on your tax return because at any time they may not do a physical audit but the IRS is, does a lot of what's called correspondence audits. I see these happen at random. It may be nothing you do on your tax return that draws attention. Sometimes it's just random. You're, it's like your social security comes up we're going to send you a letter. We just want you to verify you can claim this. So it's vital to have all that information uh, when you're going to claim a dependent. And as we're going to talk about now, some of these uh, various uh, tax credits that you can get for dependents. One that I, I'd like to start with is our child care credit for basically take for you have your child in daycare up through age 12. They can be with the day you take them to a daycare provider which doesn't have to be a licensed daycare provider, but a person who is caring for your child on a regular basis that you are paying, you can get a tax credit for. Now, to claim this credit, though, that person or organization, okay, has to provide you with information, and many child care providers know that they need to provide this because many, many parents claim this credit. It's uh, up to $3,000 for one child per year and up to $6,000 for 
for two or more children. And there's uh, thresholds in there as to what percentage it is, depending on your income. But yet those are the limits of what you could possibly claim, depending on where your your income is through the year. But you do need to get uh, some basic information from the child care provider, be it organization or individual, the name, address, and tax ID number, which can be a social security number for an individual that's maybe running as a sole proprietorship or for a business business side that's like maybe running as an LLC or a corporation or a partnership or whatever. That's information that you need to do that. And you can claim that credit. You bring that information in. There's a, there's a W form for that. I can't remember what it is right now, but there's a W w something form for that that you can also have them fill out and give and sometimes uh, child care providers will do that now the other credit and that oftentimes and many times is probably more often claimed than even most credits is the child tax credit which is can often be the most confusing credit and the reason this is very can be confusing is the fact that the child tax credit has both a non-refundable portion and a part that is considered refundable. Now, what I mean by non-refundable is that for that to be claimed, you have to actually owe tax. So after they, after we figure out your tax and take off your deductions, you have a certain taxable income amount of say $30,000, then your tax is calculated off of that, which, let me see, 12%, which is so you're 30, well, say about 3,200 you owe in tax. Uh, and you have a child, you can get to 2,000, the child 16 and under. Now, which, which you can get $2,000 of uh, non-refundable credit for. So that of that 3,200 tax I mentioned, that would, and you have one child 16 and under, that would immediately reduce that down to $1,200. Now, often misconception of the child tax credit that I actually encounter a lot is sometimes ones will think, well, my child turned 17 this year, I can no longer claim them. Well, that's that's a myth because you can still claim your child, you just don't get the child tax credit. One of the big questions I get and even questions I've asked to various uh, professionals as I've gone to education is, where did they come up with this random age of 16 as the maximum age to get child tax credit? Because oftentimes the child is in the home up, up into age 18. I wish I could answer that question. Some type of political things, all I can say is why they came up with the age 16 on that. Now, the other side of that is the refundable part of that. See, this is where it gets a little confusing is that when they pass the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which benefited many, many people and many people who took the child tax credit that that make $100,000 or less a year. So many people benefited. What we see is that of that refundable amount ones can get is only $1,400 at max per child that you can get. Now, what that is also based on, there's an income calculation in there as to whether you'll get the full $1,400 refundable amount or not, but it that can be up to that amount, up to that amount per child. And that's where oftentimes I hear people say, well, I get $2,000. This place over here will give me like $2,000 per child or whatever. It's like, well, the law says this, that you can get up to $2,000 non-refundable per child or up to 1400 
refundable per child. All, it just all depends on circumstances and cases. And for many, many parents, they, they do get a good refund uh, because they have several children, 16 and under, two or three, sometimes four. It just depends on the family size. It just varies. But yet, it's just having a little good understanding. And to claim this credit, you have to, of course, be claiming the child as a dependent on your tax return to get this credit. Now, the credit that perhaps has the most controversy around it and even a lot of fraud, this is the highest fraud you can find in tax credits, and that is the earned income tax credit. Because you can get it for up to three child, and this one is not based on a certain amount per child. It's not based on you just get X amount. It's based, as it says, on earned income. And how much is your earned income? is what it's based on. See, some people uh, will come in and they'll get one amount of this credit one year and they'll get a different amount the next year. It went less. And then I have to go through the whole explanation as to, well, it's based on earned income. So, and your, your earned income was X amount this year and this year it was this amount. And sometimes that amount went, went down or went up. And that's because your earned income changed, this credit changed. And I often have to pull out the chart and show them the chart and say, this is what it is. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense then. But the most time, most of the time I have the biggest issues is when their income actually increases. So they, they go from saying making 20,000 to 30,000 a year, or even up to 35 or 40,000 a year, they go, their income jumps. And then they're like, well, wait a minute, why, where'd my refund go? Well, it's because this credit decreases as you make more money. That's just the way it's written. That's what the law is. I can't, I can't change it. And then one other thought on this here is exactly what is earned income. There's a lot of misnomers on that. And think about this. Earned income is taxable wages or earnings from self-employment income. So you got to actually be working to have, for this credit to be effective. So if you make uh, very little money, you're not going to get much of a credit. If you make, if you're making 20, 30, even up to 40,000, if you're dealing with uh, two or three children, you can get a decent credit. Now the income that some get that think they think they can get this credit is, well, I got pension income. I'm getting retirement income. I'm getting child support. I'm getting unemployment. All of those items are not considered earned income. They're considered non-earned income and they not used in computing the earned income credit when it comes to earned income. Now the one exception which is actually a beauty and this is uh, for uh, those who are in the military is that combat, combat pay election because they get a special combat pay. There is an exception here which allows those which allows ones to put combat pay in as an election to calculate their earned income tax credit. And another exception when it comes to disability pay is when you get payments from like a third party uh, for your uh, disability, like you worked for an employer and those benefits are reported on a W-2 instead of on another uh, form, but they're reported on a W-2. And I, I've seen several of these over the years uh, where they get their income on a W-2 and 
it's considered earned income basically under the law is what it comes down to. So they can qualify for that. Then, of course, self-employment income, as I mentioned, which like if you have a, a small business that you're running and it's filed with your tax return on a Schedule C, self-employment income or even farm income, uh, that's considered earned income. But you have to have actual profit. It's not based on your gross. It's actual. It's based on your expenses afterward. After expenses are subtracted, whatever your earned income is. So that is just kind of a highlight of the earned income tax credit, but there's a lot of other information that goes along with that, especially when it comes to uh, where one is located. Now, with the earned income tax credit, you do not have to claim the child as a dependent to get that credit. This is an example of a credit or a tax, something that can contribute to your tax refund where you allow your ex-spouse to claim the child as a dependent, but because of the way tax rules are written, you get to claim the earned income tax credit for that child. And you are also head of household for that child because that child lives in your home. We got one more credit to discuss here. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the education credits you can qualify for and a little bit more when we return on the Voice America Business Channel, this is Marcelino Dodge with the Tax Answers Advisor. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Today's tax and financial environment is constantly changing. Tax laws change rapidly. The traditional reactive approach to tax preparation and taxes no longer works. To deliver the best possible outcomes in today's world, you need a year-round approach to take advantage of tax law changes and to pay as little tax as possible. Marcelino Dodge of Cash Tracks Financial helps his clients to implement proactive tax strategies throughout the year to limit his clients' tax liability. Plus, with this year-round approach, clients can increase their cash flow and be as prepared for the future as they can be. Email Marcelino at success at cashtracksfinancial.com or call 844-394-4287. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. To reach our program today, please call in. The number is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Now, back to the Tax Answers Advisor. 
Welcome back for this uh, final portion of the second episode of the Tax Answers Advisor. I'm Marcelino Dodge. And just before the break, I was going to discuss just a little bit about education credits you can claim with your dependent. This is the one that oftentimes where people get, uh, it, 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 it can just be a mess is a simple way to put it, between uh, parents and their adult children going to college, which is why it is so, is so important for parents and their adult children in college to be able to work together to maximize these education credits. Now, especially for ones in their first four years of college, going after their bachelor's degree, working on that, this is vital because of the American Opportunity Credit, which is a very nice credit. Also, part of it can be refunded back to the taxpayer. But for this credit to be claimed by the parents of their adult children in college, they have to be able to claim the child as a dependent. And that's where coordination is absolutely essential. And so to claim that credit, parents, you need to uh, make sure you have uh, copies of the expenses spent, tuition fees and so on. Those are absolutely needed. You need to have a, it's a form 1098T. I'm always asking for this form from parents because it doesn't usually go to the parents because it comes in the child's name and it always goes with the child's uh, child and college tax stuff. So it's, it just needs to be coordinated very, very nicely so that uh, the proper credit, that credit can be maximized. Now it can only be taken for four years, the American Opportunity Credit, but yet it can be very, very, uh, beneficial for the parents. Now, in some cases where it's more appropriate for the young person in college to claim themselves uh, because of their income level, like some that make 12, 13, 14, maybe 20,000 a year in college. I got some college students that have done that and they do very well. It may be more appropriate for them to take the, for them to take it. So it just really depends on the circumstances and amount being paid. In particular, if you're getting loans uh, to take, go to college or or if you have other means that are being paid for college, uh, you can often take these credits. Now, the one area that does eliminate the taking of these credits, and it usually shows up on the 1098T, is when the individual uh, college student received a lot of grants and scholarships. Uh, and if those are in excess of the tuition and fees, then usually one is not able to take, to take the credit, the education credits, because... Essentially, you didn't put money out. You got money. You were given money, and the money was applied to your tuition fees and maybe room and board as well. So, just something to keep in mind as you look at claiming uh, dependents over the over the course of the year. Now, just uh, to touch on here about dependents, just some highlights of what we uh, discussed today. Just keeping in mind about claiming some depend claiming dependents on your tax return. Just make sure you're always being very careful. Always have good documentation, which is absolutely essential uh, when you're a parent uh, and the children are living with you. Usually it's a no-brainer. It can get done. Although when you're dealing with a tax professional and I require these, uh, a tax professional should always ask for like a birth certificate uh, and proof of these things, due diligence, because one of the issues that I have that I really deal with is due diligence. And that's a hefty, hefty responsibility from the IRS. Uh, to make sure that what's being claimed on a tax return is accurate, in particular with dependents and various credits. 
that are being claimed. So make sure that uh, you're having the proper documents to make sure those support your, your, uh, the positions you're taking on the tax return in particular with a dependent. Because whether you work with a tax professional or you choose to do them on your own, relying on software, it's vital to have this information available because you get that letter from the IRS. How many of us just love getting a letter from the IRS? Oh, well, can't really say anybody loves getting a letter from the IRS unless it's a refund check of some sort. Then, oh, yeah, we're really happy. But usually if it's a thick envelope, it has two, two, on, two uh, copies of a letter in there saying, oh, by the way, uh, someone else either claimed your dependent on a tax return and now you need to, you need to prove to us that you can claim this uh, dependent. And so the documentation is absolutely essential to be able to do that. So certainly we encourage you to do that. And then as you do it, make sure you got the correct filing status that you're claiming, which could be head of household, which various people can be eligible for that, depending on circumstances. If you're married, usually married filing joint will be the best route to go with your dependent. And if you're living with your parents, well, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother ball game. Just got to make sure all the facts and circumstances add up together for you. Now, just keep in mind a few planning tips. If you're in any of these special situations that I described during this, I definitely recommend talking to your tax professional now. Get the forms, any find out whatever forms you may need. Get prepared now because last minute stuff, just you're getting in a hurry and time runs out. It's just not good. So certainly, if you're going to do deal with any of these situations that I mentioned, if you're a divorced parent, the special situation, get your tax professional, talk to them now, get it out there, get it done. That way you have all your documents ready for tax season. Now, next week, we're going to talk about a, on the business side. Many people, even in these rough times we're in right now, may be thinking about starting a business. So uh, there's some exploration work that needs to be done on that, as well as some important information that needs to be considered, what type of perhaps business entity do I want to be? How do the tax situation in each entity? Who should I talk to? So all of these are some of the questions we're going to discuss next week in helping you to understand on the type of business entity and how the taxes can affect your business in the interest that you're interested in developing. Again, I thank you so much for listening today and I appreciate uh, all listeners as we'll look forward next week to another edition of the Tax Answers Advisor. I'm Marcelino Dodge here on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week.